We'll turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 17. Uh, we will attempt to preach the good word of God here today. Luke chapter 17. The title of our message is Don't Be Left Behind. Years ago, Billy Graham wrote an autobiography called Just As I Am. And in that, he tells about an encounter that he had with the late president of the United States, John F. Kennedy. And the story goes that JFK had just been elected as president, and he'd invited Reverend Graham down to Palm Beach, Florida, to play a round of golf. And as they were riding in the car on the way back from the course, President Kennedy asked that the car be pulled over to the side of the road. And the engine was turned off, and then the president turned to Billy, and the following exchange occurred. President asked, do you believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ? And Billy Graham answered, I most certainly do. JFK asked, well, does my church believe it? And remember, JFK was a Catholic. And Billy Graham answered, well, they have it in their creeds. And the president replied, well, they don't preach it and they don't teach us much about it. I'd like to know what you think, Dr. Graham. Billy said, I explained what the Bible said about Christ's first coming. His dying on the cross, his rising from the grave, and his promise that one day he would return again. Only then, Dr. Graham said, are we going to have permanent world peace. Very interesting, the president said, looking out the window. We'll have to talk about this more again someday. And then the car was started and they drove to their next destination. But according to Billy Graham... He never got to finish that conversation with the president. An assassin's bullet tragically ended Kennedy's life on November the 22nd, 1963. And Billy Graham was there on the day of the funeral. And he said that he was haunted by that roadside conversation as the Catholic cardinal read from the scripture in 1 Thessalonians 4.16. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now that sobering story reminds us of a couple of things here this morning. First, that we're all just one heartbeat away from eternity. And second, I could ask you the same question that the president asked Dr. Graham, and that is, what do you believe about the second coming of Christ? You see, like the news of an impending storm on the horizon, we know that Future events cast their long shadows back into the past and the present. And I submit to you that how you would answer that question would have profound implications for everyday life because Jesus said that no man knows the day nor the hour of His return and so we must live, as it were, on tiptoes expecting Him any day. Like many of you, I'm hoping that I can meet the Lord in the clouds rather than by the clod. Amen? And so we ought to be prepared either way. But the Bible does teach that there is a blessed bunch of believers who will not taste death. A day is coming when the church will hear the cry, hear the command and the blow of the trumpet. They'll defy gravity. They'll meet Jesus Christ in the air. And we know that that spectacular moment is referred to as the rapture, and friend, as I look at the season that we're in and the signs that are aligning in our culture, that day could be much sooner than we realize. 
Now, it is easy for the average Christian to get the second coming confused with the rapture of the church. The tendency among many is to conflate the return and the rapture into not two events, but one. But the Bible is very clear, I think, when it teaches on this subject of prophecy that the rapture and the second coming are two distinct events separated by seven years. Now, here's a chart on the screen that shows you what I'm talking about. We have the rapture on one hand and the return of Christ on the other. The rapture is an event where Christ comes in the air. The return, we know that Christ comes to the earth, according to Zechariah 14 and Revelation 19. The rapture is when Christ comes for His church. 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us. And the return, we see that Christ comes with His church. Revelation 19 says, The rapture is not predicted in the Old Testament. There's no sign attached to it. But the return is predicted frequently in the Old Testament. Isaiah talked about it, and Daniel talked about it, and some of the minor prophets prefigured it. The rapture is not preceded by any signs. No man knows the day or the hour. Now the return is preceded by many signs. Jesus told us what to look for in Matthew 24. All of those signs listed there. The rapture commences the tribulation while the return concludes the tribulation. The rapture, a private event, it happens in the blink of an eye. As fast as you can close your eye and open it, the church will be out of here. And then the return is going to be a public event, the Bible says in Revelation 1, that every eye will see Him coming on the clouds of glory. Now in Luke 17, where I've asked you to turn here today, Jesus is preaching to His disciples about His coming. And He notes three important attributes of the rapture that I think should challenge us and, most importantly, give us hope this morning because, friend, I'm telling you, America is starving for hope today. And we can find that in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Three truths I want you to see here today. Number one, the Lord's coming will be a surprising event. It'll be a surprising event. Verse 24 is where I'll begin reading and then down to verse 30. The Bible says this in Luke 17, For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in His day. But first He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. He's speaking right there of His own crucifixion. Verse 26, And just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. For they were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from the heaven and destroyed them all. Verse 30, so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. I'm talking about a surprising Event. Now you'll notice here that Jesus referred to two time periods from the book of Genesis and He said that they will parallel the world conditions just prior to His coming. He talked about in that passage the days of Noah and the days of Lot. So that pre-flood civilization and the sin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 19, are suddenly and completely wiped out by the judgment of God. And it was a surprise 
to those who were caught unaware and didn't know what God was doing. Noah's generation was drowned by a great flood. And then Sodom was destroyed by fire from heaven. So a flood and fire came surprisingly on the world scene. And in each instance, we are told that the wicked had no idea that God's judgment was upon them. Now, the same characteristics that defined Noah and Lot's generation are very prevalent in our world today. And I want to point out for you some of those attributes that we see. Just as Jesus talked about the days of Noah and the days of Lot, we see that same spirit in our world right now. What do you mean? Well, first, I want you to see that in Noah's day, there was a culture of savage people. A culture of savage people. The civilization of Noah's day was known for its brutality and its bloodshed. Human life was cheap. Violence was glorified. And in that savage pre-flood people, they became desensitized by murder and by slavery and by sexual immorality and child sacrifice. Let's just say the world that Noah lived in is not a world where you would want to be called out at night. In fact, look at what the Bible says about Noah's generation. Genesis 6, verse 5, 11, and 13 say this, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. O friend, Aren't we living in a culture of savage people today in America, the year 2020? Haven't we seen the lid pulled off people's hearts and seen the savage violence that is in every human heart? How about those so-called peaceful protests that the media talked about as we watched all across American cities this summer, folk going out in the street to burn down the world, to protests, what they call systemic racism and so on. You know, this summer in the wake of the George Floyd killing, we saw several of those U.S. cities erupt as lawless rioters took to the streets. They burnt businesses. They tore down monuments. They attacked the police. In fact, listen to this. In Minneapolis, which was the epicenter of those riots, in that city alone they saw $500 million in property damage. And don't you know that those people who had their businesses burnt down, they may have to close for good. They may not have insurance like some say, and their whole livelihood has been taken from them because of a savage generation of people. Portland, they had over a hundred consecutive days of rioting. And for one month in the city of Seattle, six blocks were completely taken over by rioters who occupied the Seattle Police Department in their Marxist dystopia that they called Chaz. Old friend, are we not living in the days of Noah right now where there's violence and bloodshed? They're even talking about making the police villains. Let's defund the police, so the mob says. That has increased the hatred for authority in this country. And you know one thing that our dishonest media will not talk about are the dozens of police officers who were killed in these so-called peaceful protests. Men like David Dorn and Jonathan Shoup and Patrick Underwood who have been brutally killed by these anarchists turning our streets red with blood. Even our own Asheville Police Department 
recently received a casket full of manure on the front steps of the police department from these Antifa riders and these other groups. Friend, I'm telling you, we are living in a culture of savage people. The days of Noah that Jesus talked about. We're watching it live. We have a front row seat to it all. Culture of savage people. But then I also want you to see something else in this. There is a culture of sexual perversion. Jesus not only talked about Noah in that passage, but He talked about Lot. And one of the chief sins of Sodom was their raging sexual immorality. In fact, you'll remember in Genesis 19, the passage that Jesus was referring to, God sends two angels into the city of Sodom to warn Lot and his family that the time is nigh, that God's judgment is about to arrive, and they need to get out of the city immediately. The Bible says that the men of the city of Sodom, when they saw those angels go into Lot's house, that they came and they were beating on the door of Lot's home, trying to get him to hand over those two angels' visitors so that they could have their way with them. Listen to what Jude 1.7 says about that. Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Friend, I don't have to preach very hard or long to convince you that we are living in a culture of sexual perversion. It's unhinged these days. Did you know that a recent government study revealed that about 40 million Americans visit porn sites every day and 35% of all internet traffic in the U.S. is porn related. I remember when I was a kid, if you wanted those dirty magazines, you could go to the drugstore and it was behind the counter and there was a barrier there and you had to, you know, if somebody wanted it, it was hard to get to. But now it's just pumped into all of our homes and through our phones and all the devices that we have. And 35% of all internet traffic, my gosh. It doesn't stop there. Each year... Did you know this? An estimated 300,000 children in the United States are forced into sex slavery. That's here in the United States. You just think slavery was abolished in the era after the Civil War. No, friend, it's still going on in our day, just in a different way. Meanwhile, listen to this. As the number of young people explore the transgender lifestyle, doctors have found that suicide rates among transgender people is ten times higher than the national average. And that makes sense because when you allow that person to decide not based on biology but on their opinion whether they get to be a man or a woman, how confused and conflicted their life and their mindset must be. And now pray to God that Joe Biden doesn't win because I heard him say to a voter that if an eight-year-old wanted to decide whether they would be a boy or a girl, that they should be allowed to make that choice. God help us. A culture of sexual perversion. And then we have the war of the womb going on in our land where if a baby gets in the way because of our sexual immorality, well, we just kill the baby. Just wipe that out of our lives so we don't have to deal with consequences. Culture of sexual perversion, a culture of savage people. And then I want you to see also from this a culture of spiritual passivity. Notice what 
Jesus said, verse 26, just as it was in the, uh, the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. The flood came and destroyed them all. Jesus said up until the day that the rains came, that Noah's generation went about their lives as usual. There was no cause for alarm. There was no desire for the spiritual things of God. And friend, doesn't that sound a lot like the world that we live in today? We're more obsessed with gadgets and gossip and the glamour of Hollywood and gold has become our God and uh, you have to basically drag people to get them interested in church and we're called uh, offensive and bigoted and all the labels that are put on Christians there's a day of spiritual passivity in our land friend I was witnessing to a fellow just the other day not long ago and I was telling him about the church and uh, pleading with him to get right with God and I talked to him about the gospel and you know what the man said to me he said, that's all well and good, preacher, but I'd rather stay at home and drink beer than go to church. A day of spiritual passivity. At least he was being honest. Now, in our culture, not only is there spiritual passivity, but we have seen how COVID has really accelerated the persecution of our religious freedom and restricting of churches. Do you know that in this year of 2020, that there were 10 states that restricted churches meeting can't have indoor church at all in some states like california washington minnesota new york and in other states they do allow churches to meet but they say you can't sing while you're inside listen friend it's a day just like jesus described in second peter 2 5 noah is called a preacher of righteousness and think about Noah. Here he is. He has this building project going on in his backyard. The Bible says for about 120 years. And that was a luxurious grace period to repent, to believe, and get on board. And I think that Noah preached with the wrath of God in the foreground and the ring of hammers in the background. But Noah, don't you know, he was viewed by the skeptical people of his age as the village idiot. Oh, Noah, he's a fool. Look at him building that boat. Look at him talking about a flood coming. He doesn't know what's going on. He's crazy, son. And friend, I'm telling you, they talked bad about Noah. They slandered him. They drug him through the mud until the day that the storm clouds broke and the deluge came. And friend, then the unbelieving world, the masses were on the outside of the boat. Noah, let us in. Noah, we believe you now. But the Bible says that the door was sealed and shut by God. And friend, I'm telling you that the grace period of God has an expiration date. There is a day that's coming when it'll be too everlasting late to place your faith and trust in Jesus and get on the ark of safety in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Noah may be the only Bible preacher with no converts. The only people that got on the boat was him, his wife, his sons and their wives. And yet choosing not to believe in God's judgment won't magically Make it go away, will it? And friend, the world thinks that Christians are fools, don't they? The world thinks that what we're doing is idiotic. That what we're doing, serving Christ and preaching the gospel and meeting at church, oh, look at what they're doing. They're spreading the virus. All these kinds of attacks and things that come against the, the church. Well, friend, I've made up my mind. I would rather stand with God and be judged by the world than the other, which would be a stand with the world and be judged by God. 
Listen to what 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 and 3 says. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security. Then the Bible says sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. It's evident, friend, the signs of the times are aligning in our day. The days of Noah and Lot that Jesus talked about preceding His return. I see it. You have to be blind not to notice it. But I don't tell you this to scare you. Bible prophecy is there to prepare, not to scare. As we look upon our world, friend, don't lose hope. Don't look out on all the election and don't listen to all the media and don't get caught up on all the drama on Facebook and say, oh, it's all falling to pieces. No, it's falling right into place just like God's Word said it would. The Lord's coming will be a surprising event. Are you ready? Then number two, I want you to see this. The Lord's coming will be a separating event. Drop down to verse 34. I'll show you what I mean here. Jesus says, I tell you that in the night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There'll be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. They said to him, where, Lord? And he said, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Jesus gives a vivid picture of the worldwide impact that the rapture will have that instant that millions go missing across the globe. And notice the times of day that are mentioned here in that passage. There's night as folk are sleeping. One is taken and one is left. There's early morning when the women are grinding grain for the day's food. One is taken, one is left. There's midday when men are out working in the field. One is taken, one is left. And what this implies is that the rapture is going to be a worldwide event. And when the trumpet blows and the command is given, the church will instantly be removed, be separated, as those will be left and those who will be taken. You know, one critique that I often hear by folk who don't believe in the rapture goes something like this. They say, well, you preachers who talk about that, don't you know that the word rapture isn't in the Bible? And I always like to point out to them, well, of course it's not. And there's a lot of words that aren't in the Bible, like Bible isn't in Bible. Uh, Trinity isn't in Bible. Omnipotence isn't in the Bible. And yet you can't deny those concepts and those doctrines as they're taught very clearly in the Word of God. So they're going to have to find another argument. And these critics say, well, rapture is not in our English Bible. And that is true. But it was in the Latin Bible for 1,200 years because here's a little lesson. That term rapture is actually the Latin translation of the Greek word that is used in the New Testament. And the Greek word is actually harpazo. It's used in 1 Thessalonians 4, another passage. And it literally means to be caught up or to be snatched away by force. And carries the idea of being plucked up like a gardener would go out and forcibly pluck the weeds. Paul used it in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. Look at this. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together. If you could read it there, harpazo, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Amen. So let me give you an illustration. Suppose you're to take a mixture of metals. You take gold, silver, copper, iron, lead, zinc, and you scatter that mixture on the ground. You bury it beneath the soil. And then you take a powerful magnet like the ones that we see used in the junkyards that have... Uh, lifted those heavy scrapped cars and you pass that magnet over the side immediately 
the one kind of metal is going to leap scoured and be attracted to that magnet in the air. And the magnet will leave behind those, some of those other metals that don't have the right content, don't have the right chemistry inside of them, and it will draw to itself the iron. It'll be pulled up. Why? Because the iron has the same nature as the magnet. And what I want to say to you is when Jesus comes at the rapture, uh, He is looking to draw all those to Himself who have that deposit of the Spirit of God in them, who have the same nature of the divine in them. It's those who've been twice born. It's those who've been washed in the blood. It's not those who've attended church and done good things and have a rap sheet of works to boast and brag about. No, it's only those who've come to the cross, who've seen Him as Lord and God, who's pled the blood and said, Jesus, save me, come inside and clean me up and live my life through you. The one who has the same nature as Christ. In his book on the rapture, Dr. Tim LaHaye vividly describes what that day will be like. Can you imagine? Teachers will disappear right in the middle of their lesson. Mechanics will drop their tools Doctors will be taken out of this world while they've got patients there on the operating table. But Tim LaHaye says this, when Christ calls His living saints to be with Him, millions of people will suddenly vanish from the earth. When half a billion people disappear, leaving behind their earthly belongings, pandemonium and confusion will certainly reign for a time. A million conversations will suddenly end men's sentence. A million vehicles will be unmanned. A woman will reach for a man's hand in the dark and no one will be there. A man will turn with a laugh to slap his colleague on the back and his hand will move through the empty air. A basketball player will make a pass to a teammate streaking down the court and find that there's no one there to receive it. A mother will pull back the covers in a bassinet smelling the sweet baby smell one moment and will be shocked to find only empty blankets. Oh, friend... You think it's bad in the year 2020 if those who are left behind after the rapture happens. Oh my goodness, what kind of world will they live in? The only way I can relate it to you is like this. It'd be like a cancer surgeon doing a surgery on somebody who's eat up with cancer. And in that uh, uh, operating room, they take away all the healthy cells and leave only the cancerous cells to absorb and to destroy the body. And friend, that's exactly what our world is going to be like when all the salt and all the light is taken out. You just thought this year was bad, friend. I'm telling you, when the church is out of here, the church is the only barrier. The Holy Spirit working in the church is the dam that is holding back the torrent of evil and darkness that wants to sweep across this land. And when the church, when the restrainer is gone... What a dark day it will be. If I didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning as my Lord and Savior, I would run to this altar. I would find Him to be full of mercy and grace. I'd get it right with the Lord today. Make today the day of salvation, friend, because in the blink of an eye, it's going to happen. Oh, the world poo-poos it. The skeptics make fun of it. But I'm telling you, just as sure as I'm standing here, I hope Jesus comes in the middle of my sermon. Wouldn't that be a sermon illustration, Brother Clifford? If you're beside me when I'm going up, I'm going to give you a high five and say, I told you so. I told you so. You see, imagine what's going to happen on the earth when billions of people go up, up in a way. I'm ready to get my one-way ticket, friend. I'm ready to be transformed into the image of my Savior. I'm ready to get that sinless 
sinless, ageless, painless, deathless body. Maranatha, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. The Lord's coming will be a separating event. And it'll be a surprising event. Then the thirdly, I want you to see this. Are we having fun yet? I want you to see number three. The Lord's coming will be a saving event. A saving event. If you flip over a couple pages in your Bible to Luke 21 and verse 26, Jesus is still preaching about prophecy there. And at the end of that discourse, notice what He says, Luke 21, 26. He says this, But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength, watch this, to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Notice that phrase, escape all these things. What's interesting about this verse is how Jesus left open the possibility of watchful saints to escape what's about to bear down on the world. In other words, Jesus implies there will be some who will not have to endure the wrath of God that will befall this world during that terrible seven-year period known as the tribulation. And so much for the, the skeptics and the critics. I hear it. I see them on YouTube. I hear their sermons. And I talk to folk who said, Well, you preachers who talk about the rapture, all you care about is escapism. Well, at least I have a chapter and verse to stand on, Luke 21, 26. Jesus says, The faithful, those who are awake, those who are in Him, can escape this dark and dying world. Friend, I don't have anything tying me to this world. I'm ready to go. Amen? Here's another interesting facet about Lot and Noah, remember Jesus was preaching about them in chapter 17. In both of those cases, God mercifully spared His righteous remnant from wrath, didn't He? Noah escaped the floodwaters. In fact, he rose above them in that ark, that way of safety for him and his family. Lot was led out of Sodom before God sent the fire. Even though his wife didn't make it, she turned to the pillar of salt. But that's exactly the picture that Jesus painted there as two people are in bed, a husband and wife. One is taken, one is left. The dividing line down humanity is not rich and poor. It's not Democrat and Republican. It's not black and white. It's those in Christ and those who are lost and undone without Him. That's the separator. All but friend for the church, it's going to be a saving event. In the same way that God saved His righteous remnant from wrath in those Old Testament examples, Jesus has promised that the church will escape the day of wrath. Listen to what 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says. We are to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Revelation 3.10, Jesus promised the church at Philadelphia, look at what He said there, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. You see, the rapture is intended to be a doctrine of comfort. 1 Thessalonians 4.18 says that, and 5.11. And friend, there would be no comfort at all if we knew that the church was not going to be removed and we all had to live through the misery of the day of the Lord. There's no comfort in that. But friend, there is comfort in the fact that Jesus is coming. That one day the sky will break. That the people of God whose ears will be tuned to the skies will hear the trumpet blow. And friend, we'll defy gravity. 
We'll go up through the clouds, up through the atmosphere, the stratosphere, and past Mars, and into the third heaven where we'll see Jesus face to face. And friend, it brings comfort to my heart. It brings peace to my heart. If I'm dreaming, just let me keep on dreaming because I believe this is what the Word of God says. He's coming back soon. Hey, could be night or noon. Holy and pure. His light clear as crystal. He'll split the eastern sky. I'm washed in His blood. Packed up and ready. Goodbye, whole world. Goodbye. Friend, it's going to be a saving event. One question that all those who doubt and deny the pre-tribulation rapture have to ask themselves is, is the church under the wrath of God? My Bible doesn't say that. Romans 8, 1 says, Now therefore there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't face the wrath of God because the Son of God went to the cross and took the wrath of the Father on my account and in my place. That's basic Bible. So if you believe that the church has to go through the tribulation, then you have to violate Scripture and say that the church will have to partake in the wrath of God. Listen to what David Jeremiah said. He said, quote, When God put Jesus on the cross, He exacted from Him the full penalty due for our sin. We have nothing left to pay. But if we who have been cleansed by the blood of Christ are put through the tribulation, which is a time of punitive judgment from God, it would mean that the price Christ paid on the cross was not enough. That we still need the additional penalty of God's punitive wrath. And then he asked this question, Did the cross save us from wrath or not? It certainly did. Friend, he didn't stay dead, and he won't stay gone. Amen? He's coming back. And I hope that your heart is ready. I want to finish with this illustration as we close today. I know we've gone over, but please be patient with me. Just a couple more minutes. In 1989, there was an 8.2 Richter scale earthquake that almost flattened the nation of Armenia. 30,000 people died in less than four minutes. Moments after the deadly tremor, a father raced to an elementary school to save his son. But instead of a school, he found a shapeless heap of rubble. The father ran back to the corner of the building where his son's class used to be, and this dad started to dig through the block and through the dust, through the twisted iron. He moved brick and debris and He tried to find his son. He yelled through the brick, Hold on! Hold on! Daddy's here! No matter what happens, I'm coming for you. As the dad began to dig, other parents tried to stop him in the midst of that rebel saying, It's too late. They're all dead. Go home. Get ready for a funeral. There's nothing you can do. And then, A fire chief arrived. They tried to pull him off. Dad, you've got to go home. There's fires and explosions all over the city, everywhere. You're in danger. But the dad wouldn't stop. How do you say no to a parent's love? The dad kept digging. He kept digging, throwing block away and moving debris. He dug for eight, then 12, and then 24, and then 36 hours he dug. And then in the 38th hour, He pulled back a boulder, and he heard his son's voice. Immediately he screamed, Armand! And back came the words, Daddy! I told them, Daddy, the little boy said. I told the other kids, 
If you were alive, you'd come back for me. I told those kids, my dad made a promise. I'll always be there for you. Jesus made a promise to you and I, didn't He? I'll come back and I'll receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be also. The rocks may tumble. The ground may shift between our feet in the coming days and years. But friend, I'm not afraid because I've got a promise from an almighty God. I'm coming back just when you think it's impossible. Just when the darkness is moving in. When you have trouble believing. Hold on. I made a promise and I'm coming back. Amen. Maybe there's somebody this morning that needs to get their life right with the Lord. You've just been playing games. You haven't been really living for the Lord. Friend, I'm telling you today's the day. This is the hour to make your decision known. The Bible says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And knowing what you know now about what is coming upon the world without Christ, friend, you ought to come now. Only Jesus is the way. Baptism doesn't save you. Church attendance don't save you. Giving a lot of money don't save you. What saves you is the blood of Jesus Christ. Those who are covered in Him, those who have been cleansed by Him, He wants to save you if you don't know Him today. Will you come?